Over 200,000 of the homeless people in the United States of America are women and girls. The most needed and understocked item in homeless shelters, feminine hygiene products. Joy Road Media is proud to tell you about the Clean Love Project. The Clean Love Project's mission is to help women and young girls feel clean, loved, and empowered by distributing clean love kits to alleviate their hygiene needs. Go to thecleanloveproject.org to find out how you can help. The Clean Love Project focuses on the Metro Detroit area, but it also distributes kits worldwide. If you are a female in need of a clean love kit, go to thecleanloveproject.org and request one today. Joy Road Media is a proud supporter of the Clean Love Project at thecleanloveproject.org. How are you? I'm good. How are you? All right. So listen, um, this is Great Lakes Confidential with Angie and Marty. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do things a little bit differently today, just just because I am a big slacker, basically. So we're not going to do county routes. I'm sorry for everybody that was really looking forward to getting through the alphabet and the letter M, but I'm just not prepared today. Understood. And... We, I'm going to read our story today. I'm going to read it verbatim from a news source. All right. Because I just could not get my poop in a group. So I'm sorry. I apologize. But it is spooky season. Mm -hmm. And uh, last week we talked about St. Aubin Street. Yeah, the St. Aubin Street massacre. Yes. Yes. That was pretty gruesome. Mm -hmm. So this week we're talking about the murder of State Senator Warren G. Hooper. What? Yeah. I'd never heard of this story before you gave it to me. I didn't give it to you. (laughs) Okay. I know nothing about this. It just showed up on my news desk. Mm -hmm. And it it was like a bulletin. The nighttime stringer passed it along. (laughs) Right. So this is kind of an interesting little story, uh, and it has you know some of my favorite things: corruption, Ooh. murder. Gross. I know, and uh, I guess that's all I can think of that that it's got. That's pretty much. These are two of my favorite <laughs> things. Pretty much sums it up, right? Just yeah. corruption and murder for yeah. this one. That sums you up. <laughs> Ouch. Oh. Ooh. Shots fired. So this came from Bentley.umich.edu. And what is Bentley? Is that like know. a... It's I don't know, but it's a University of Michigan website, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's somebody's used personal name. Who knows? I think it might be a library. Could be the Bentley Library. Possibly, yeah. That I makes more sense. Okay, so this must be I from the know. Bentley. I am a Spartan, man. <laughs> no, no disrespect to Michigan. It's a great... I love Ann Arbor. Michigan's a great school. No disrespect. But I don't know their library. Yeah, well, you know what? If MSU wrote the story, maybe we'd be giving their it's point fine, of view. Fine, man. We'll just, you know, next week we'll cover um, one of the many uh, riots that happen. Up in oh MSU. man, are they spooky riots though? Why not? Uh, couch caught fire. We can invent the curse of the Red Cedar River. Oh, all right, that sounds good. Speaking of inventing, uh, I'm really excited. This isn't a, like an invention thing, but I'm really excited because we actually 
got an email from a from an author, mm-hmm. and this author writes stories fiction about Michigan, uh, Michigan um, based fiction stories, and he wants to be on our show. No, well, that's cool. Let's have him on the show. We are, and actually, I emailed him last night. He's going to send us a, a book to read. Oh, fantastic. he's going to send us his. His latest, um, I don't remember what it's called. Thriller. His latest thriller. I think it is like a like a psychological thriller, Ooh, if I remember. That's good. Yeah, I read his email and I was so tired and I completely forgot what it said. I'm I'm so sorry, you guys. This is a crazy month because I work, obviously, and then I'm going on vacation and I also have a work trip coming up. So my brain is kind of all over the place. So I'm very unorganized. My apologies. So anyways... We are going to talk about, this is called A Michigan Murder. It is on the Bentley Library's website through umich.edu. And this is written by Laura Zeilin. So here we go. Put on your best storytelling voice and let her rip. Let's do it. More than 70 years ago, the sensational murder of State Senator Warren G. Hooper shook Michigan to its core, revealing a web of corrupt politicians, dubious lawyers, deadly purple gang members, shady prison wardens, and more. The Bentley has the papers of so many who were involved that when the case was reopened in 1989, state police demanded the library turn over its materials. One of the biggest unsolved murders in the state's history starts on a frigid day in 1945 and ends in rows of boxes at the Bentley, where there might still be a clue just waiting to be found. Wouldn't that be crazy if we solved the crime on the show? There's a homework assignment for listeners. Heck yeah. For our confidants out there. Our confidants. Alrighty. It was a bright, bitterly cold January day. The sun glinted off the fresh snow covering the Michigan countryside as State Senator Warren Hooper drove along Highway M99 from his office in Lansing to his home in Albion. He may have squinted against the blinding white landscape all around him, perhaps not at first seeing the car that would force him into the opposite lane. There were no oncoming cars since. After such a brutal spell of snow and cold, the roads were largely deserted. Mm. Hooper skidded to a stop, his tires partially in snow, partially on pavement. The driver's side door was yanked open, and Hooper was forced at gunpoint into the passenger seat. Hooper's cigarette fell from his mouth as his hat was pulled down over his eyes, likely starting a small fire in the car. He may have screamed, or perhaps he was simply too stunned to do anything much, not even turn his head as a bullet entered his left cheek near the corner of his eye. Goodness gracious. Another bullet lodged behind his left ear, and another shattered through the top of his head. The assailant fled, and Hooper was left slumped in his seat on the side of the road. He was discovered by a feed elevator operator driving by a little while later. The January 11, 1945 murder of Warren Hooper remains one of the most sensational murder cases in Michigan and is unsolved to this day. In spite of massive state resources applied to catching the killer and countless leads, the trigger man never faced a jury for murder. What is certain about Hooper's killing, however, is that it revealed a tangled web of conspiracy, corruption, and politics in Michigan. Hooper was killed four days before he was scheduled to testify before a grand jury about taking a bribe to alter a horse racing bill. His testimony would directly implicate millionaire Frank McKay, a former state treasurer and prominent Republican, who was the subject of three federal grand jury probes beginning in 1940. Boom, there's your man. Case closed. (laughs) Years later, in 1954, McKay would vigorously back a little-known 
Republican nominee for governor named Donald Leonard. Leonard was the former police commissioner who took over the Hooper murder case in 1947, increasing speculation that the Hooper murder remained unsolved not because of lack of evidence, but because some people simply wanted it that way. Mm-hmm. Remarkably, the Bentley Historical Library has the files of McKay as well as Leonard, plus those of Special Prosecutor Kim Sigler, who fought for years to bring McKay to justice and tie him to the Hooper murder, and who would later become Michigan's governor. The Bentley has so much material, in fact, that the Michigan State Police contacted the library to request access to files when they reopened the Hooper murder case in 1989. So, don your fedora, grab a highball, and read all about how the Bentley sits at the heart of an unsolved mystery more than 70 years in the making. Except hear about it this time. We're yeah. Hear about it. I'll read. You yeah. listen. Fedora you can still wear. Oh, yeah, for sure. I've got mine on right now. Clues, Convicts, and Conspiracies In 1945, news of Hooper's murder traveled quickly, making headlines locally and nationally. Hooper had been Sigler's key witness in a grand jury probe designed to put corrupt politicians behind bars. Armed with a renewed tenacity after Hooper's death, Sigler now worked alongside police to piece together who pulled the trigger and to tie it all back to McKay. One of the first big breaks in the case came on January 13th, when a 48-year-old grocery salesman named Henry Snyder claimed to have seen a maroon car blocking Hooper's car on the highway, along with two men at the scene. In the Bentley archives is the map Snyder drew for law enforcement, showing how he drove up to the maroon car and got a good look at the fellow behind the wheel, and how he then spotted a second man at Hooper's car. It was as if the second man was talking to this fellow setting in the car, which afterwards I found out was the dead fellow, see? Snyder told police. Did he really say it like that? Yeah. It was the dead fellow, see? See? The dead fellow sat with his head down like a drunk would. See? See? Snyder's testimony was useful, but not concrete enough to lead to arrest. Then, in March, police caught another break when Sam... Abramowitz, a convict with ties to Detroit's Purple Gang, claimed that he and others had been hired by the head of the Purple Gang, Harry Fleischer, to kill Hooper. Nope. Case closed. There's your man. You said that already. Well, we got them all. Okay. (laughs) By May, Harry Fleischer and his brother Sammy, plus Detroit saloon operator Mike Selleck and a small-time gambler named Pete Mahoney were all charged with conspiracy to kill Hooper. Abramowitz had turned state's witness, pointing the finger at all the other men in exchange for immunity. All four men pled not guilty and went to trial in July of 1945, the courtroom hot and packed. Edward Kennedy Jr., defense counsel for Fleischer and Selleck, repeatedly pointed out that Abramowitz had the same size feet as the tracks found at the murder scene and that Sigler may well have given immunity to the assassin. I really think you have made a mistake in this case, Kim, he told Sigler. I really do. I really do, see? <laughs> He's got size 11, see? See? The perfect alibi. In spite of any doubts raised, the Fleischers, Selleck, and Mahoney were found guilty of conspiracy to commit murder and sentenced to four to five years in Jackson State Prison. But the charge of conspiracy didn't account for who pulled the trigger and paid for the hit. That question waited as Sigler tried again to nab McKay, putting him before the grand jury for conspiracy to violate state liquor laws. McKay was found not guilty, but Sigler's name was nearly a household one by now, which no doubt helped him successfully run for governor of Michigan in 1946. Sigler's priorities shifted as governor, and the case stayed on the back burner until 1947, when inmates from the Southern Michigan Prison, now the Michigan State Prison, came forward with an incredible tale. 
Herman Frenchie Faber and Mitchell Bunkowski told police that criminals, including Fleischer and Selleck, were recruited to kill Hooper and that they borrowed the maroon car of Deputy Prison Warden D.C. Petit to get to Hooper that day on Highway M99 in addition to a second prison vehicle. There was, they said, an entire organized system of criminals going in and out of the prison with the help of guards, wardens, and even politicians, leaving many of them with the perfect alibi of being behind bars. I believe it. I believe it. That is bananas. Mm -hmm. Leonard was skeptical about the tale and reluctant to believe a convicted criminal. But Detroit Inspector George Kimball thought the case solved and told the press as much. Newspaper headlines went back and forth about the veracity of the testimony, and Petit was brought in for questioning multiple times. Police even searched for the murder weapon on his farm. Interestingly, all prison records for official car use on the day of Hooper's murder were found missing. Interesting. Reopening the case. Sigler often postured that no matter how long it might take, he'd bring Hooper's murder to justice. But as the years dragged on, the case got colder and colder. He lost his re-election bid for governor in 1948, and in 1953, the plane that he was piloting crashed in Battle Creek. Siegler's plane? Yeah. Did he die? It doesn't say, but I'm assuming. I guess we should could Wikipedia that later. We could. The case was largely quiet until 1987 when Bruce A. Rubenstein and Lawrence E. Ziewat? I don't know. Z-I-E-W-A-C-Z. Z I E W A Z Z A C Z A C Z Zwak Zwash Zwitch published three bullets sealed his lips and that's published by Michigan State University Press a thoroughly researched retelling of the Hooper murder the book argued its own theory a version involving Jackson prison officials purple gang members and an inmate named Raymond Bernstein whom they claimed pulled the trigger, and posited that Sigler knew the truth of the case all along, but never revealed it for political reasons. Mm. The dense information in the book, plus prodding from its authors, prompted Michigan State Police to reopen the case to contact and to contact the Bentley Historical Library, which Rubenstein and Zewich had used extensively in their research. The Michigan Department of State Police has recently reactivated the Hooper investigation and would like the University of Michigan to return any items which are official state police documents to aid us in our investigation, wrote Michigan State Police Director R.T. Davis in a letter to the Bentley dated, dated March 9, 1989. The Bentley digitized everything in the Donald Leonard files and said it all to Detective Sergeant Chet Wilson, who spoke to the Bentley recently from his home in Traverse City. I came to a different conclusion than the Three Bullets authors, says the now-retired Wilson. When the case was reopened, he, re- he researched old police records and identified people connected to the murder who were still alive. One in particular stands out in his mind, Mike Selleck. Wilson interviewed Selleck at a retirement community on May 5, 1989. I went to his residence without giving him any notice. I was coming, Wilson says. His expression was of complete shock. He nearly had a panic attack. He couldn't hardly answer any questions I asked. Dude. How old was he? I don't know. I'm saying, like, if he was in a retirement community right. at that point, you're lucky you didn't have a freaking heart attack. No, right. Like, forget the panic attack. Dude could have keeled right over. Right. I mean, it's quite a gotcha, too. The guy didn't know you were right? coming. Right? Ouch. Ouch, bro. Not a good look. Not that he was going to say anything anyway, but... Right, but still. A Freedom of Information Act request for Wilson's case files on the Hooper murder indicate that Wilson tried to convince Selleck to come clean about what had happened 
due to the fact that he was one of the last remaining persons that had personal knowledge as to what actually occurred, according to the filed report. But Selleck wouldn't budge. He stated that he didn't talk during the grand jury trial in 1945, and he is not going to talk about it now, Wilson wrote in his report. His lips are sealed, his see? His lips are sealed, see? Speaking with the Bentley, Wilson recalls that he left Selleck his card and told him to call him if he changed his mind. Selleck was involved, if not the trigger man, Wilson believes. Wilson and other investigators continued the hunt, conducting ballistic tests on possible murder weapons, including two guns from Southern Michigan Prison. However, no conclusions were ever reached. Selleck died in 1996, having never followed up with Wilson, and as time marches on, it's less and less likely the killer will ever be uncovered. Oh, boom, that's your guy, Selleck. <laughs> Case closed. In today's time, it might be possible to get DNA from the crime, says Wilson, but few physical clues from the case remain. The Michigan Historical Museum has the hat Hooper wore when he was killed, and they displayed it in 2010 during the debut of a novel inspired by the case, To Account for Murder, by William C. Whitbeck. But 70 years on, it's hard to say what DNA could remain, save possibly Hooper's. Hooper can't tell us who his assailant was, but his grave in Albion's Riverside Cemetery marks the fact that he died trying to do the right thing. With honesty he lived, his tombstone reads, for honesty he was taken. Mm-mm-mm. That's bananas. Yeah. Especially like the prison situation. Like yeah. that's straight out of a movie. Right, exactly. Like these dudes were just like, mm, we're just going to let these prisoners out, see? And they're going to commit crimes, see? And Yeah, and the fact that it was all done because of horse racing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the 40s were wild. Mm-hmm. What a time to be alive. Yeah, and a time to die. Oh. <laughs> oh, you big dork. All right, so that's the story. Oh, wow. Well, sorry to hear about that, Senator Hooper. Yeah, that's crazy, though. Yeah. It's like, man, politics are... Hmm. Dirty. Yeah. Always have been, apparently. Apparently. Yeah. That's just crazy. Corruption ain't nothing new. Yeah. Now, this horse racing thing in Michigan is pretty crazy to me, because we, uh, we used to have some horse tracks around here. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the only one I ever knew about was the one, the Swartz Creek Sports, Sports yeah. Creek. Yeah, but down here there were uh, two... One in Northville, one in Hazel Park. Hazel Park was a big one, and they had harness racing, because for the longest time, that was the only thing legal in Michigan, was so harness racing. harness racing is with, with like a rider? Or? Yeah, you're, it's with a rider, but they're on like these little carts kind of attached to the horse. Like, they're not actually on the horse Like back. Ben-Hur? Yeah, a little bit like Ben-Hur. That's weird. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's not as interesting. But then uh, a couple of years ago, uh, they passed a law that thoroughbred racing was legal. That's, you know, the horse racing you're used to with the people, you know, on horse. The little jockeys? Yeah. Okay. And uh, they they started doing thoroughbred racing at Hazel Park, and it was the, uh, you know, the, the, this park was making more money than they've ever made in the, you know, in the longest time they were just raking in money. Mm-hmm. Yet somehow, halfway through the season, they went bankrupt, and uh, they closed the park. park got torn down and turned into an Amazon uh, distribution what? center. Yeah, so it's kind of curious how you're making the most money ever, and then suddenly you're bankrupt. But you don't have money? Yeah. So, I mean, horse racing's always been a pretty uh, pretty shady business. I mean, it seems like it's still a shady business. Right. Like we ta- like we 
it seems like every time there's a horse race on TV or like the Derby or whatever, mm-hmm. like days later we find out that like a horse was doped or whatever mm-hmm. and like there's something crazy going on. Do, what was that show? There's a documentary series on Netflix and you watched it. Is it Bad Sports? Is that what it's the, I don't know. I don't remember. You watched a couple episodes and then I got sucked in and I, I watched like almost all of them. So I want to say it's called Bad Sports. And it's a documentary, like a docu-series um, centering around like people doing real sketch yeah. stuff in sports. So like gambling and all this other stuff. And there was there was one about horse guys. I don't know, I don't know what yeah. to call it. But anyways, um, and like there were owners of horses like that hired this guy to like kill their horses because for the insurance for the money, insurance yeah. money and it was just it was so wild i was yeah. like what in the heck like i mean it's all wild like right now the biggest uh the scandal is uh bob baffert right he's the uh, he was like the celebrity like the superstar tr- horse trainer isn't he the one that just recently got in yeah, trouble like, for i think stuff? He, he got like a lifetime ban now i could be wrong but i think he got banned for life so for, from crazy. racing in the derby and I mean, he was he was basically like, you know, the Tom Brady of well, not Tom Brady, the Bill Belichick of, uh, <laughs> right. you know, of horses. Yeah. Like he was the guy like you never bet against him in the derby. Like if he was training a horse, you're like, yeah, that's the guy. That's who you're going to you're always going to go. That's what was my dad's mentality. Yeah. Anyway, I come from a horse racing family. So that was my dad's thinking was, you know, Bob Baffert, he's he's got a horse in the race. You bet on that horse. So then, what did he get in trouble for? I don't for remember. Doping, doping okay. the horses. Okay. You know, uh, performance enhancing drugs and whatnot. That's why they, was it this year or was it last year when, if, when it all went down? I, I think can, it was I don't even this, this year. This pandemic has got me so screwed up. I don't even I remember. I know. I think it was this year. But I mean, horses are, have always been nuts. Like this is another, you know, Great Lakes story, Michigan adjacent. But in Chicago, they had a, they actually had a thing called the Horse Mafia. What? Yeah. And there's a. There's some stories. The horses makes... were the bad guys. No, oh, no, it was, it. you know, just mob based around yeah. horses and horse dealing. <laughs> and rumor has it, my grandpa may have been chased out of <gasps> town by him, and that's why he had to open up a farm in in Wisconsin. But anyway, uh, you're familiar with Brock Candy. Mm. Brock's. It's oh like, yeah, yeah. You always see like the brands. Yeah, B R A C H. Yeah, yeah. Um, Helen Brock was the, um, you know, the matriarch of the Brock Candy family, and she was murdered. By the horse mafia what? in Chicago, who disappeared. It's like a famous unsolved, uh, you know, unsolved in air quotes. Like they didn't find her body, but they, you know, know who did it pretty much. Why? Over uh, over horses, stuff like that. She uh, she fell in with the wrong crowd because she wanted to get into the horse game. It's so weird to me to think that somebody along the way was like, "We're gonna take these animals and we're gonna give them a whole bunch of." whatever and then we're gonna make them run around in circles and we're gonna bet on them like yeah. who like, i mean i could see, how it, I could see how it started but you know but then when it got to where it's at now where it's like the horses and the jockeys are taking the same drugs yeah right like that's where it gets all nuts and it's like they're you know bioengineering the horses to be stronger and bioengineering the jockeys to be smaller it's it's insane to me yeah but yeah with, with when helen brock disappeared it was you know big yeah, I hate to say a joke, but, you know, comment we all made when we were kids. Like, you know, maybe she's in the caramel. Don't eat the caramel. Ew. Yeah. Gross. So, yeah. But you can't put anything past the horse mafia. No. I wouldn't want to. I You probably can't put much past any mafia. I mean, if we're talking about mafias. But right. I just, I'm blown away. I mean, I'm always surprised to find out, like, 
the dark and dirty side of things that yeah. seems so innocent, you know, something so so seemingly innocent as horse racing. Right. And it's like, oh, no, there's like this whole underworld, like dark underworld surrounding uh, it, it. And it, it is crazy. Anything that involves gambling as, you know, a primary thing, oh you got to assume organized crime is involved in it somehow. Somebody's prospering. What's always funny to me are the, uh, you know, the the uh, the kind and gentle, well-meaning souls who are protesting horse races because of the treatment towards the animals. Mm-hmm. When it's like, oh, if you only knew the treatment towards the people involved. Yeah. yeah. I that bad sports episode with the horse guy was just so nuts, and like he. Like, he was electrocuting horses. Like, that's how he was killing them. And it was just like, first of all, like, how did this, how, how was, like, this method even discovered? You know what I mean? Like, I have a lot of questions. Edison. We'd already discussed that. Remember, Thomas Edison invented electrocuting animals. (laughs) Mike Vick perfected it. Oh. Sorry. Jeez. No more football talk. Too soon. Too soon. So that's the story of, uh... Senator Hooper. Yeah. The, Rest well, in peace, Senator Hooper. The end of his story. Rest in peace, see? The final chapter. That's right. I wonder if they'll ever solve the crime. It sounds like it's solved. They just haven't, you know, named names. Yeah. And the more time goes on, you know. I always find it weird when, you know, decades pass, centuries passed, and then they're like, oh, this is the guy who did it. It's like, I don't necessarily know if that yeah. can be relied on. Yeah. You know, every couple of years, there's a new book. Like, I know who Jack the Ripper was. Right, right, right. Or I know who the, the Black Dahlia murderer yeah. was. And I know like, where Hoffa is all yeah, of a sudden. Yeah, it's exactly. like, what? Every couple of years, and it's yeah. like, you can't... I hate to say it, and it's terrible for the, you know, the survivors that just want closure, but sometimes some of these stories just kind of pass into, like, public folklore, and you just mm-hmm. have to accept that you know what they are and yeah and just you know it's i hate to use the term fun but it's fun to theorize sometimes i mean it's a good intellectual like last week when we discussed the yeah. st Alban massacre you know it's that's an unsolvable case dude i'm still thinking about that case like yeah. i'm still like i was just getting ready for work the other morning and mm-hmm. i was like it popped into my head and i was like well this kind of makes sense and what about this <laughs> you yeah. know and it's just like yeah, I mean, I don't know that there's a better word to use than fun. I mean, it's not right. fun like, like you know, right. jet skiing. It's not like a birthday fun. party, right? right. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, just a, very... it's a mental exercise. Sometimes yeah. you've got to stretch the old brain. Yeah, I love stuff like that. And yeah, as much as I would love for these families to get closure on mm-hmm. their loved ones, it's probably not going to happen. And it is... It is fun and interesting for people like us to kind of come up with our own Theorize conclusions. Yeah. Wonder. Absolutely. I never really come up with my own conclusions. I just go with the best one I've heard. I usually end up with more questions than anything. Yeah. Because I'm the question girl. What do you think so. happened to Hoffa? I don't know. The last thing I remember seeing about him was that he was murdered in, in, the, in that house. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Documentary yeah. thing that we watched, and like they they claimed that he was killed, shot and killed, like in the uh, like entryway of the some foyer. house. Yeah. yeah, but there was 
never like a- actual blood right found no DNA or, evidence yeah and, so it was like uh, you know so i mean i'm i'm cool with the uh you know the theory that he was stuffed in a uh you know 55 gallon drum and taken out to new jersey that makes sense to me yeah i mean if you're gonna get rid of a body in that manner right. it's probably the best way to do it or that right he was in the trunk of a car that got uh, crushed and right you, you know you're not gonna pull that apart and no find it, find no i think that there's you know way too many and who knows? Maybe he's actually not dead, and he's just you know he's been living. He's probably dead now, though. Well, now he's yeah. probably dead. Yeah, but you know, sometimes you think about like what was it? This is just a head in a jar directing a union somewhere, <laughs> right? Yeah. Who's the guy? The airplane guy, DB Cooper. Or, yeah, DB Cooper. Yeah, you know, like that's another fun story, fun yeah. mystery. You know, whatever happened to that guy? Right. Who was DB Cooper? Right. What happened? Was that his real name? Who knows? No one of the people say it was I love true crime. I can't wait to find another story for next week. Yeah. Yeah. I really got to get my myself yeah. together. Get your rear in gear. Get my rear in gear. My yeah. poop in a group. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I got. I don't have any other. All righty. Well, then I guess we'll see you next week. We'll reconvene with another. Word up. I hope you guys are having the best spooky season ever. Let me tell you this real quick. I have decided... I decided this like middle of summer when I got this new job, I was like, I, when it comes time for spooky season, I'm wearing something spooky to work every single day. I'm mm-hmm. going to figure out a way to make my horror clothes into business casual. You and said horror. Horror. Okay, Not yeah. my horror clothes. No, those oh, are different. The weekend clothes. That's, those are my weekend clothes. Um, I decided to figure out how to make b- spooky business casual. Yeah. And I've done it. Mm-hmm. And today I wore, I have these uh, spiderweb earrings and I have spiderweb fishnets mm-hmm. and a black dress and I wore it to work and I got more compliments today about my outfit than I think nice. I've gotten about any clothes that I've worn to work. And every time somebody's like, oh, I love your blood spatter barrette or I love your whatever, your skull sweater, you know, whatever I'm wearing. I'm like, it's spooky season. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> They're you like, be yep. A, a funeral director. <laughs> I know. Just dress like a. You know, I don't. Did I ever tell you about the uh, funeral home in my old hometown in Illinois? I don't know. In uh, Palatine, Illinois, mm-hmm. where I uh, grew up until we moved to Michigan, there was a uh, funeral home still there. It's called Allgrim's Funeral Home, which is a very funny name for a uh, you know funeral home. Right. Allgrim's, but. Uh, in the basement of the funeral home, the guy uh, secretly built an arcade and miniature golf course. What? Yeah, and he used to like, uh, like it was kind of a secret little thing that you know when kids you know had to be present at funerals and all that. It was sort of like, well, you can go downstairs and play the games. That is dope. And uh, one time, like I was already living up in Michigan, and I used to go back and visit friends a lot down in Palatine. And uh, I was visiting a friend, and we we're like, let's let's just go there and ask the guy if we can go see it. You know, tell him I'm from out of state. And mm-hmm. they're like, all right, you can go down there for an hour. And he went down there, and like all the video games are like the horror themed games, like, yes, like Ghouls and Goblins, <laughs> and the uh, you know the miniature golf course. It was like a little cemetery. Theme oh my and god! All that. Like, it was just the funniest little. I love it. Weirdest thing. All Grimm's funeral home. Yeah, it has little a little uh, arcade and. And miniature golf course. That's but of amazing. course, that was you know thirty years ago. Who knows? Right. It's still there. But that's cool. So I think the best name for a funeral home. There's one in Lansing called Skinner's. Ooh. Yeah. That's a weird one. I know. Makes me really uncomfortable when I drive by it. Yeah. Like, ooh, I don't like it. Um, sometimes at work when I'm wearing spooky spooky clothes, I kind of feel like 
uh, what's her name in NCIS? Yeah, the girl that works in the in the lab. Yeah, <laughs> that's about right. Yesterday, uh, somebody came in and was like, she used to work there, and mm-hmm. she was like, "Oh, you must be the Halloween queen I've heard so much about." And I was like, "Yes, ma'am, that's me. <laughs> that's me, queen of the witches." <laughs> so anyways i really hope everybody's enjoying their spooky season the leaves are changing and they're falling and it's so friggin pretty it's still like 77 degrees out which doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense but whatever sure welcome to michigan warming. that's true but yeah i hope everybody's having a, a super super scary spooky season but a super safe one too don't eat any uh candy that you haven't checked out right yeah all right. Don't eat anything with labels you don't recognize. That too. You could get high. Well, chances are drug dealers are not handing out their... Oh, I don't know. Big fentanyl best. Anyway, <sighs> look out for razor blades. Look out for drugs. Watch for deer too. You know what? Just trunk or treat with your kids in a church parking lot. That's probably <laughs> the safest thing to do these days. All right. We'll see y'all next week. Bye. Bye.